Hello, this is Dr. Lynn McPherson, and welcome to Palliative Care Chat, the podcast brought to you by the online Master of Science and Graduate Certificate Program at the University of Maryland. I am very, very excited to introduce our guest today. It's Dr. Joe Rotella, who is the Chief Medical Officer for the American Academy of Hospice and Palliative Medicine. He self-describes himself as a medical humanist. He's also an outstanding hospice and palliative care physician, and I have to tell you, he makes my personal shortlist of one of the nicest people in the universe. So, Dr. Rotella, welcome. How are you today? Well, I'm doing very well, and uh, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. We're delighted that you're here. Um, so let's, let's jump right in here. I, I think I was sharing with you before we started recording that I hear on TV we're all in the same boat. But I've also heard, and, and it makes sense to me, we're really not all in the same boat. We're all in the same storm because I know the view from my boat where I'm sitting at home looks a lot differently from a doctor or a nurse or a respiratory therapist in the COVID ICU. So I'm sure you share the same sentiment that we're all kind of having a different experience here. Well, I agree. I think that's actually a really important point. In some ways, um, we are all in this together. I don't think there's anybody who's not touched by this. Our, our home and work lives ha- have been impacted. Some of us have actually um, had to deal with the illness directly. And and some folks are in places that are real hot spots. Other folks are in places that are uh, prepared and waiting for a surge that may not be coming. Um, So the fact is that um, we can probably all share a sense that things have changed. They've changed really fast. Mm -hmm. Um, A sense of maybe worry or or dread, Uh, a sense of sadness or grief for things that have changed and things we may not get back anytime soon. But we're not all having the same experience at the same right. time. And particularly when I think about, um, you know, representing an association that has over mm-hmm. 5,000 professional members, I, I have to keep reminding myself that, that uh, it's not the same experience for all of us. And, sure. um, you know, I can, I can definitely... I, I think about myself, and I learned something in, as the outbreak sort of uh, crashed over us, and that is that I could identify with many, many things. I can identify myself as an association leader. Uh, I could identify myself as somebody with some business uh, experience and expertise. But when this happens, you sort of find out where you're primary allegiances, and for me, it's being a doctor, and it's being a palliative care doctor. And my heart just immediately went out to all the frontline healthcare workers and to the people and, and families that are, you know, coping with or trying to manage this illness. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, I'm not a frontline palliative care doctor anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so this creates a tension in me, which is... Um, Am I doing enough? And it seems like we can't possibly do enough, particularly when we hear from our colleagues in places where it has become overwhelming, where the, you know, places like New York City, where hospitals are just full of uh, COVID patients on ventilators. And, And I have to deal with this personal tension between am I doing enough? What's my role? How can I contribute 
And we don't all contribute the same way. Some of us are clinicians. Some of us are program leaders. Some of us are educators or researchers. We all have our part, but, but discerning what is my part and how can I do enough, I think, is a real challenge in a time like this. Well, of course, I think we would both agree that AAHPM is a leader in hospice and palliative care. So how would you describe what is the role or responsibility of a leading organization in this crisis? Well, the Academy really had a a, a challenge when the outbreak burst on us. Uh, First, we uh, had had to make the very difficult decision along with the Hospice and Palliative Nurses Association, to cancel our big annual assembly, which is really the marquee Mm -hmm. event for the hospice and palliative care community. We spend um, years preparing each annual meeting. And uh, and that had to be done in a very thoughtful way. We were going to hold the meeting if we could do so safely, and there's so much financial liability around a, a big meeting like that that you have to be very careful in how you make that decision and how you navigate. So we had, we had to focus on that. At the same time, all of our staff and, our, and many of our volunteers and leaders were suddenly moving to working from home or they were taking on brand new roles in response to the, the pandemic. And then we you know, had to see what could we do right away to meet the needs of our members and the needs of the public responding to a pandemic. And our initial response really focused on three things. First, uh, combing through all the information, resources, and tools that are available to find the best ones and make sure that those were available to professionals in hospice and palliative care and in medicine in general. Uh, it doesn't help some, you know, to drown people in 100 resources. One thing we learn in associations is that people appreciate uh, curated information, information mm-hmm. that's been vetted and that's reliable and trustworthy. So the first goal was to uh, make sure that we could create a resource page and connect folks to the best tools, resources, and information. The, the second was to recognize that Uh, particularly at a time when things are changing so fast, we, the professionals, need to connect with each other. We need to be able to talk to our peers who might be experiencing something different than what we're experiencing in our community, um, where we can share observations, uh, even provide emotional support to each other. And that needs to be a safe place where you don't have the media or attorneys or or other folks um, Uh, involved. And that's where we found that we were really able to use our Connect platform, uh, which is uh, for our members. And um, where we would have at the assembly had our special interest groups and other communities would have had their annual in-person meetings, we uh, quickly pivoted to a series of Zoom meetings that allowed those communities to continue to meet. And no surprise, mostly we talked about everyone's response to COVID. Mm -hmm. So the third area, besides connecting people to information and resources and tools and connecting them to each other, is that we would be able to advocate for their immediate needs. Uh And um, in particular, we work with a lot of coalitions, including the National Coalition for Hospice and Palliative Care. We have strong 
relationships with the Council of Medical Specialties Societies, the American Medical Association, other medical societies. And uh, we work through coalitions because when we can join a larger group of folks aligned around a key issue for our members, it really amplifies our voice. And it was very clear early in this uh, pandemic that there were some things that really needed to change if um, our members and others in the field were going to be able to care for people with serious illness with COVID or not and do it safely. And the, the first was this uh, terrible shortage of personal protective equipment. Yes. That was brutal. And so, uh, yeah, brutal. Brutal and still is, you know, the lack of testing, uh, potential medication shortages, but also things like um, the flexibility to use telehealth and um, making sure that there's going to be financial supports in place for hospices and physicians' practices. And so this has been an unprecedented time in, for advocacy. Um, I, I don't think I've seen in my five years, um, you know, so many um, sign-on letters, so many opportunities to reach out to CMS, to reach out to Congress, to reach out to administration leaders uh, to advocate for what we need. And we've been pretty successful. I mean, for one example, uh, hospices really uh, needed the flexibility to perform many of their visits, including the administrative face-to-face visit uh, through a telehealth mechanism um, and we were happy that we were able to get that. It, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when Medicare tries to put the genie back in the bottle and the emergency is uh, declared over. Um, some of the things that have happened, I think, are going to be hard to undo. Sure, like putting the toothpaste back in the tube, right? <laughs> right, or, you know, it's like once you've opened Pandora's box, and probably the biggest one in that area is, is around the use of telehealth. Um, you know, telehealth was driven uh, by partly by the lack of personal protective equipment that is actually unsafe mm-hmm. for patients and staff to make visits that are not totally medically necessary, that don't have to be physical visits. And, and the fact that folks uh, were, uh, you know, the, the visitation has been limited in facilities and hospitals. So mm-hmm. uh, we've often thought telehealth would be part of the answer of the future, and we've been advocating it for, for a long time, but I didn't think we would be doing it in the ICU, that you would have somebody right. doing a telehealth visit, uh, uh, you know, connecting a family member to a, a sick patient in the ICU with a, mm-hmm. a la- tablet computer. Yeah. Uh, boy, things changed fast. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's one of the most brutal things is you watch these heartrending video clips on TV of a, a nurse in the ICU holding up an iPhone doing FaceTime between the patient and their family so they can say goodbye. And the nurse is crying hysterically. And, of course, I'm sitting at home crying hysterically watching the nurse cry. Um, you know, I always, I'm sure you agree with me that um, Dr. Von Gunten has described primary, secondary, and tertiary palliative care skills. And I've long been an advocate that every healthcare professional should possess primary palliative care skills. But I think certainly at this point in time, this has become extraordinarily clear. So when we think about that poor nurse doing that uh, FaceTime call, when you think about these primary palliative care skills, and think about the resources that the Academy has posted here. What do you think are the most pressing needs of, of practitioners today from a palliative care standpoint? 
like like having that conversation, like goals of care conversations. What do you think? Well, I, it it turns out that um, communication and uh, symptom management, which have really been sort of the cornerstones of what we do as palliative care teams, you know, have never been more important. And um, so when I think of communication, sometimes I think of sort of the different phases of it, uh, advanced care planning being something we can do, you know, in advance of a crisis. Um, it's never been more important for people with serious illness uh, and those who um, are just at risk of getting COVID to, mm-hmm. to have those conversations. Um, and they don't necessarily have to be with palliative care experts or specialists, we acknowledge that we don't have the workforce to um, provide this at a specialty level across the board. So among the tools that we've seen people really reaching for are these sort of quick communication guides around how to have an advanced care planning discussion. Um, and in the, the year, in this uh, era of COVID, we actually are having people interested in in just COVID specific conversations like well you know I've already done my living will and advance uh, directive and I've uh, chosen my healthcare surrogate uh, and made all that clear but it if I actually get COVID and become critically ill that's actually a different scenario than you know six months from now if my cancer gets worse so we actually have people um, clamoring for you know COVID specific tools. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my thoughts about whether I'd want to go in a hospital and be on a ventilator if I'm COVID positive and 85 and have three chronic conditions might be a whole lot different than my thoughts about whether I want to go to the hospital if, um, you know, my, my diabetes and heart failure got a little worse. Sure. So we see, um, you know, that, that real kind of COVID-specific communication tools. And, um you know, in this all-hands-on-deck situation, particularly in places that are hot spots, we see that the palliative care specialists are spread thin. In some places, they've created hotlines so that mm-hmm. they can give uh, just-in-time um, clinician-to-clinician uh, support to their colleagues who may not have had any palliative care training but now need to have these tough conversations or figure out how to manage shortness of breath. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen long distance uh, volunteering where palliative care teams have provided direct patient consults through telehealth. So you could have a team in San Francisco providing support in a New York hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the innovation in the last few weeks has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, and I, I've been so proud of, of how people have, have been creative and committed to doing what we can. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, behind all of this, though, there's just this tremendous emotional toll. Oh, so gosh, I get yeah. to listen on these you know, community calls with, say, our Hospice Medicine Council or our Academic Palliative Medicine Council or some of our special interest groups, um, I, I hear what people are saying from around the country, whether they're in hot spots or not, and um, there's a tremendous amount of fatigue. People are tired. They're worn out. In some places, we're feeling uh, grief. Uh, even experienced palliative care doctors in hot spots are saying they've never um, experienced that intensity of uh, mm-hmm. suffering 
and and death and dying in their careers. Um, and I am a little concerned about the you know mental health wave that's going to follow this and is already starting the wave of grief, yeah. the wave of moral distress, the wave of um, secondary trauma. Yeah. And I guess to punctuate that, I'm really uh, heartbroken this morning to see in the news that there was an emergency department physician in um, New York City who had been part of the COVID response who died by suicide. Oh, no. And it's, um, you know, this is having, it's taking its toll, yeah. not just on patients and families, but on healthcare providers. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we need to give, give everybody sort of as quickly as possible the basic communication skills, the basic symptom management, the essentials of that. But we also... Uh, need to immediately support them um, because this is a hard thing for healthcare providers to go through. Sure. And then looking at your webpage, and also I want to stress that this is not all hidden behind a members-only wall. This is uh, widely available, freely available on the Internet. Not only do you have a whole section for clinicians, you have resources for educators, researchers. I love the team in self-care telehealth, ethics, and for partnering organizations. So really kind of span the waterfront there. I think that's amazing. And you, you did mention um, what comes next. You're talking about the mental health issues. Um, my personal example there is I was emailing uh, a good friend who owns a needlepoint store, and I'm a rabid needlepointer. And I had started this extremely elaborate Christmas stocking for my brand-new little grandson, but I stopped working on it because it's too hard. So I've defaulted to going to easier projects. And I told her, I said, I've got to get back to that stocking. And she's like, Take it easy on yourself. We're going through a tough time. It's hard to concentrate. And I think we forget that. I think that even though I'm in a pretty good boat right now, this is hard. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. So, and it's funny, we can hold two feelings at the same time, right? We understand this in palliative care. Um, So on the one hand, I can feel a tremendous gratitude that the boat I'm in, as we're weathering this storm, is, is solid. You know, I'm used to working from home. Um, I've never been more productive. I'm physically healthy. I'm not on the front lines getting battered. I have everything I need. I can look out the window and see a bird on the bird feeder and still appreciate the the beauty of nature. And and I can really say I, I feel gratitude and don't take any of that for granted. And then at the same time, I can be aware that um, I'm anxious, that I'm sad, that I feel like I, can, I wonder if I'm doing enough, that I yeah. am susceptible to survivor guilt. Every time I hear about a frontline healthcare worker who gets sick or can't find PPE or, or who dies, um, you know, I feel a personal responsibility for them. And, sure. and so, you know, we can, uh, we can be in a solid boat and still um, be stressed. And um, not only do, is this a time that calls for kindness and compassion for everyone, it calls for it for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so... You know, I'm not surprised that you don't actually have the mental and emotional energy to do a really hard project. 
Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't think it's ever been more important for us to pace ourselves. This feels like a sprint, but it's not a sprint. It's Absolutely. a marathon. Um, you know, the virus isn't going to dry up and blow away in a couple of weeks. We're not going to have a vaccine right away. We're not going to, this problem won't be solved. And we need, if we're going to be able to do our part over the long haul, we have to take care of ourselves. And yeah, we need to take care works. of each other. I, I am worried about, um, I, I mean, worry is a natural feeling right now. <laughs> Nothing unusual about that. But I am aware that uh, we're going to, we have this initial response, but we're going to be responding to an evolving crisis. And it's already starting to change. You know, in the first few weeks of this, it's um, uh, how are we going to prevent a surge or manage a surge? How do we plan uh, and get ready? Um, but now we're already starting to see in some of the hot spots, there are a number of patients that have gone on ventilators who have neither died nor have they been successfully extubated. And now they've had a tracheostomy placed and they're becoming you know, longer-term ventilator patients, and it turns out that we don't have any place for them to go. Um, so there's going to be this next wave of, of folks that um, have residual and long-term problems related to COVID infection. Mm-hmm. And then I'm concerned about the folks that have, you know, uh, had acute problems that they've not sought help for because they've been right. under and down at home. Right. Or chronic illnesses that uh, they've been putting off, and at some point they're all going to come flooding back in. Yes. I know that um, <clears throat> my husband has had carpal tunnel for a very long time, and of course he kept putting off doing anything, putting it off, putting it off. So finally I said, you've you got to do something about this. So he went to uh, a surgeon, and he said, yep, you've got a bad case in both hands, so we should do uh, surgery. We'll do one at a time and out surgery. So it was all lined up, and then this all hit the fan. So now he, every couple of hours I wake up, and he's sitting on the side of the bed trying to get his hands to stop being numb. So I do think you think about whether it's just having your teeth cleaned or um, in-out surgery. I think there are a lot of things that have been backed up. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, um, I'm used to working from home, but I'm not used to spending eight hours solid uh, in Zoom meetings. And, um, you know, the truth is if I weren't in a Zoom meeting and I was on a call, I might put my my headphones on and, and go take a walk. But mm-hmm. for a Zoom meeting, you're supposed to sit in front of your computer. <laughs> so right, so right. the truth is that um, I've never been more sedentary in my life. And yeah. I'm gaining weight. And this isn't good for me, right? So, so there's a challenge to all of us, which is, um, you know, when we can get beyond the initial crisis response mode. And in some mm-hmm. places, you know, that's, that's what has to happen is let's get through this and just survive. But when we get beyond that and we're getting ready for the long haul, we need to take good care of ourselves and each other. Um, We have to find a way to exercise. We have to find a way to spend time with people we love. Um, We need moments of mindfulness. Um, You know, I look out my window and I see these little goldfinches on this bird feeder. They don't care about COVID at all. They haven't noticed anything about this. And, um, you know, if I can spend a minute with them, then I can come back a little recharged. 
and take on go. this uh, unprecedented challenge we're all working on. It's been a doozy, that's for sure. Well, Dr. Rotella, you are a prince among men. I appreciate your time. Any last closing thoughts you want to share with our listeners? Well, I just want to come back to this idea of kindness. um, You know, right now I've never felt closer to all my colleagues in hospice and palliative care and primary care and, and medicine in general. And, you know, I think this is taking us back to why we do this, why we chose these professions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I moved into palliative care and hospice partly because I was able to live with the idea that I couldn't cure everything, and mm-hmm. but that there was still something I could do. And now that's being put to the ultimate test. We're facing something enormous. We can't always fix it. We can't even do all the things that we used to do or wished we could do or that we would say are, you know, standards of the best specialty care. But there still is always something we can do. And sometimes that's bring ourselves as full human beings to the, to the task and provide that kindness, that compassion, that message that you matter. And it's never been more needed than right now. And I think this is a time when we can really make a difference by making sure that people always know whether you're a patient, a family member, a colleague, the grocery workers down the street that put bags of groceries in my trunk. Everybody matters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I've long held the opinion that palliative care this is why we all went to pharmacy, nursing, medical, social work, whatever your school of choice is. When people, when young uh, learners say, oh, I just want to help people, that's what we do. That is what we do. I personally hold the belief that after this whole storm, palliative care is going to emerge with even greater respect from the medical community because I think we live and breathe this stuff, like you say, taking care of each other, taking care of patients. So um, I'd like to thank you for your personal efforts and certainly the Academy for what they have brought to the entire healthcare community. And uh, thank you so much for being on our podcast, Dr. Rotel. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. This was a great pleasure. I really appreciate it. So this is Dr. Lynn McPherson, and this presentation is Copyright 2020, University of Maryland. For more information on our completely online Master of Science and Graduate Certificate program in palliative care, or for permission requests regarding this podcast, please visit graduate.umaryland.edu forward slash palliative. Thank you.